my faith helped me in never giving up. There's an old saying by Charles Spurgeon, by perseverance, the snail made on the ark. Why well, I like to say you could be as slow as a snail, but if you keep moving in the right direction, believing God, trusting God, in the end you're going to succeed. And Daniel 12.4 also predicted it. But you, Dan, you go your way. And knowledge will increase until time the end. We see an increase in autism. We see an increase in knowledge. But they go hand in hand. And you go to Silicon Valley, the preeminence for um, kids born with autism there is like 75 times what it is any place else. I'm Steve Green on the Charisma Podcast Network. We've got an interesting guest with us today. I think someone that you're going to enjoy listening to. He wrote a great book on a parent's guide to autism. And before you think you understand autism or that you don't need to hear this podcast, let me tell you that this is something that's of great interest to everyone in the church and in any ministry to make sure that we understand how to be inclusive, what we can do to make sure we uh, do our part as Christians to welcome and to, and to be a part of uh making everyone feel welcome in our churches and in our environment. So without any further talk, I want to welcome Ron Sanderson, the writer of A Parent's Guide to Autism. Ron, welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much for having me on your show today. Well, thanks for writing a book that hadn't been written. I mean, it's so important. We've, we all have had our experiences with autistic children. We have our own biases. And I think you go a long way toward eliminating some of those biases. Yes, I've done a lot of speaking. Um, I speak to thousands of parents a year who have kids with autism, so I've seen all the different degrees of autism, and I can share ways of helping kids no matter where they're on the spectrum. Well, that's important because I want to make sure that we're, that we're fair, we give it a good description, but also for everyone to know that you have also lived a life with autism. So maybe tell us about your own experience with it. My development... Th- began normal. I said my first word, mommy, and I said my first word, mommy, when I was nine months old. And then I went through a time of regression where I went from being able to say mommy to only mom, mom. I went from being able to have eye contact to zero eye contact. And my development was so far delayed in my communication that when I was seven years old, my brother Chuck would introduce me to people and say, you got to meet my brother, Ron. I think he's from Norway because he speaks Norwegian. <laughs> when I talked, to him, only my immediate family could understand what I was saying. Mm-hmm. And I had to be in intense speech therapy all the way from age 2 to age 16. So I know much of the struggle of autism. I used to have severe meltdowns where I couldn't control any of my emotions. I'd bang my head full force in a cement wall when I'd lose my temper, and no one would be able to soothe or calm me down. Mm-hmm. And that's probably a picture that typifies what people think about autism. We've seen autistic children on television, and we think that's what autism is. Would you talk about the spectrum itself for us? Yeah, there's a great quote. No child is totally autistic. No child has no autism. Even God has his autistic moments, which is why the planet spins. Wow. Who said and that? Dr. Mark Shore said it best. Wow. You meet one child with autism. You meet one child with autism. Autism has varied degrees. You have like Rain Man. Um, you have savants, and that makes about 10% of people with autism. And you have people who have severe autism, and they're unable to communicate verbally. And 
at the other end you have people like Jacob Barnett, who are geniuses, who he just finished um, getting his Ph.D. at age 16. So autism has varying degrees. Some people with autism will be able to be independent like me and have a career and get married and have a family. On the other side of the spectrum, the lower functioning, nonverbal, maybe they may have to live in a group home mm-hmm. or um, have support the rest of their life to help them get by. So it's a very large spectrum and varying degrees on that spectrum. I understand. So you've actually experienced movement along the spectrum throughout your life. Yes, I've experienced much movement. I went from being able to communicate very few words to now being one of the most highly sought-after speakers in Michigan and throughout the United States on autism. One of my supervisors said it best. He said, Ron speaks at over 70 events a year, including 20-plus educational conferences, yet he still has a difficulty filtering what he says. He's like a child with no shoes on and no socks on, riding a bicycle downhill with no brakes sometimes with his filtering system. So do you still feel that issue with your filter, or or do you have better control of it than normal? I got better control, but there's still times when I'll have my autistic moments where I'll misunderstand what someone's saying or say something that um, most people would never think of saying because with autism it makes me brutally honest. So (laughs) Uh I'll say a lot of times what pops into my head without thinking about where most people have a better filtering system than what I have. Well, how's that worked out in your home life, say, with your children and your wife? How does that work out for you? It works out good now, but I follow repetitive behaviors, and my wife has had to learn how to to, um, accommodate for me in those areas, my repetitive behavior. One of the things I do that's repetitive behavior, every day when I get off work at 3.30, the first two hours i got to do my memory work, which consists of going over thousands of Bible verses I have memorized word perfect. I can at any time quote word perfect or 10,000 scriptures in the New Testament or 22 books in the New Testament. But for me to continue doing that, I have to every day for two hours go over my verses. And that's what enabled me to be a mentor while in college under Dr. Jackson Impey. That's great. So your wife has uh, had to be a caregiver throughout your marriage. <laughs> Yeah, at times she has to. She one time said that um, sometimes um, she does so much work with our daughter, Michaela, who's two years old, because I have to do the speaking engagements, work full-time, and um, do. I work as a professor part-time on the side. Sometimes she feels like being a single mom. Yeah, I understand. Is, uh, is your wife, you're a teacher, right, a professor? No, my wife works... Um, Doing human resource work, okay, and so, doing um, accounts of payable. Right. So you both work outside of the home. Yes, yeah, she works full time, and I work full time. Plus, I speak. Um, right. Um, it's seventy events a year, all, right. and all over the place. You're doing a lot. Plus, you've written a great book to parents. So what? Oh, thanks. Where did you get to that point where you felt like even with you know you're not limited, but people would look at some of your circumstances and say oh my, that must have been a miracle for God to uh, give you a book and for you to be able to write it. How do you feel that the book came from you? Where did it come from? The book came from God inspiring me to share with other families how I was able to overcome 
autism, and also how I've learned to be able to adapt to social situations, which is very hard for people with autism. I like to say I've overcome many of the autism quirks, but there's still times when I have my autistic moments, when something gets me so mad that I may have a meltdown or mm-hmm. I experience severe anxiety or um, feel hopelessness at times mm-hmm. due to autism and the way I perceive the world due to that neurological different way of seeing the world. So there's still times when I have to work on it myself, but the advice I give in the book I believe can help any family who has a child on the autism spectrum, no matter the, de- the degree or varying degrees they are on that spectrum, and that's how I tried to write the book. I also interviewed over 40 families who have children on the autism spectrum and share their perspective, so I'd be able to give a unique perspective to autism, not just my own personal opinions or views or experience, but also many other people who have kids on varying degrees on the autism spectrum I interviewed. So tell me, Ron, is, is autism believed to be genetically transferred? We know that it's highly um, genetics, but we also know that there's environmental factors. And what I like to say is there is no one cause of autism. It's multivariant. There's many different um, things leading up to autism occurring. And the number one way we know is um, genetics. Mm -hmm. And number two is environmental, that we are what we eat. And a lot of processed foods we're eating... Um, can contribute to it. Also, we know that the age parents have kids plus their genetic makeup can make it a higher probability of having a child with autism. Mm -hmm. And we look at, in America, people are now waiting until their late 30s, early 40s to have kids, which makes the number of autism go way up. And now it's one in every 59 kids in the U.S. will be diagnosed with autism. When I was diagnosed in 1982, it was one in every 10,000. So they're just diagnosing it more often. They can they see it now. Yeah, so it's becoming an epidemic in the United States. My goodness. With your children, have either of them developed autism? No. And with women, it's a lot less likely. Um, three out of four people with autism are males. And um, so the odds of her having autism with me having autism was 5%, but it goes down even farther with her being a, ma- or with her being a female. I understand. Uh-huh. I had the privilege of pastoring a young woman who was autistic. So I raised from around the age of five to pretty much high school age. And then we moved here to Charisma. But I've been wearing that jigsaw piece of the puzzle there in May. And I've, for most of my, it seems like 20 years, I've I've been following autism, trying to study it and understand it. But what, what I see is what I think the Lord sees. It sees someone that's beautifully and wonderfully made, just not in a way that we would label. You know, we we have our own ways of labeling someone who doesn't do things the way we do them. And that's not God, is it? Um, Yeah, we need to have a proper view. I think Temple Grand and the most famous person in the world says it best. If there was no autism, we'd have great social skills. We'd be sitting around a fire, clapping our hands, singing kumbaya. But we wouldn't have electricity. We wouldn't have things that take systematic engineering because autism comes from systematic engineering and ability to focus in on one thing and be able to develop it in technology. So we see, too, an advancement in technology 
and advancement in autism, and they go hand in hand. That's amazing. I've never heard that. Or And Daniel 12.4 also predicted it. But you, Dan, you go your way, and knowledge will increase until time the end. And we see an increase in autism. We see an increase in knowledge, but they go hand in hand. And if you go to Silicon Valley, the preeminence for um, kids born with autism there is like 75 times what it is any place else. We're visiting with Ron Sanderson. He's written a book titled A Parent's Guide to Autism. We're visiting with a parent who's uh, normalized under what we would call those conditions, and yet he's very important to the church, and his work is amazing. So, Ron, I want to ask you another question that's, that's more penetrating. What do you feel, as one who's lived with autism most of your life, your awareness life, what do you wish people understood about you? things I wish they'd understand that I'm different but not less. I have amazing abilities. I can quote word perfect or 10,000 Bible scriptures. But yet, if someone uses bleach, it um, bothers me, and I can smell it a week after it's been used. And I have an ability to focus in on things. And when I was a track runner, be one of the fastest runners in Michigan for the half mile. But at the same time, I have many weaknesses, like being able to filter what I say or different environments can make me very anxious or experience meltdowns. So I want people to know that even though I'm different, it doesn't make me less, and in some ways it makes me amazing. Yeah, I, I think so too, and you've got an amazing book. Tell me about your meltdowns. Do you feel like, do you see them coming? Can you tell that you're getting there? Yeah, I feel like um, every day I'm advancing more and more, and being able to overcome more and more challenges that I experienced as a child and also growing in ability to have social skills and be able to interact with other people, especially as I speak at more and more events. It gives me a chance to be able to help more and more people. Are you under more stress in those in that environment, though, where there's a lot of people around and certainly many folks that could irritate you? Do you find that going in public and being that visible, is that put pressure on you? I find that exposure makes you become immune to things. And I've been so exposed to media and so exposed to speaking, so exposed to being out there in the autism community that it's actually caused me to become immune to a lot of the anxiety people experience when they speak. I spoke at Rob Parsley's church to over 6,500 people in Columbus, Ohio, and I've learned ways of coping with anxiety when I speak. One way is I have a ring that I can spin. And with autism, we like to spin different things. And when you spin the ring, no one can see me spinning the ring because it's small and it's um, discreet. Mm -hmm. I've learned ways of coping methods for places I go and how to handle autism. I want to make sure I understood you. Someone from Michigan went to Ohio and spoke? I went to um, Rob Parsley's church. I know. TV evangelist, and he had me speak at his church. I was 6,500 people. I know. As a, on autism. He has a son, Austin, who's on the autism spectrum. And I interviewed them while writing my book. Good for you. I was just teasing you a little bit about being a Michigan man. and Oh, I see, yeah. What you all think of Ohio State. I just spoke in Ohio um, last um, Thursday at the autism conference, um, mm-hmm. autism milestone conference, and they had a former NFL player announce me, Gerard Cherry, who has a daughter with autism. Mm-hmm. So you're doing a good work. 
and you're you're impacting lives and look how God made you so that you could do it. Maybe no one else could have. There's an old saying, God best shows his glory using faulty tools. Now imagine seeing a screwdriver that's rusted, you see a broken down caterpillar vehicle, mm. and then you see a beautiful mansion and the person, the workman said I used those tools to build it. You think that it was unbelievable and that's how it is when God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That's so good, Ron. That is wisdom. Tell me about how your faith impacted your ability to understand autism and then be able to minister. My faith helped me in never giving up. There's an old saying by Charles Spurgeon, by perseverance, the snail made on the ark. Why I like to say you can be as slow as a snail, but if you keep moving in the right direction, believing God, trusting God, in the end you're going to succeed. Amen. So it's it's beyond the positive self-thinking and a great positive mental attitude. It's a deep-rooted faith in you, correct? Yep. And faith is believing in advance what's only going to make sense in a reverse. So it's believing when you had to go through those therapies or um, go through speech therapy that later on God's going to use that to help you to be able to speak and be able to um, share his word with other people. Yes. So let's talk about some of the things that you mentioned in your book and some important points for people uh, to understand that an autistic individual can still contribute to the church. Tell us how pastors should receive uh, folks with autism. I think pastors should receive people with autism and seeing them as ordinary people, but also at the same time that they may need accommodations. And the best person to ask what accommodations they can receive for autism is first ask the person if they're able to communicate what needs they have, um, try and supply those needs. Also ask the parents or caregivers if the individual is nonverbal and doesn't have the ability to communicate in conventional ways like speaking. And always show love and acceptance. That's the, the key. That's good. Craig, pastor Craig Johnson, who's a pastor the head pastor of um, Lakewood Church for their ministry department under Joel Osteen said the most important thing for a successful special needs ministry and autism ministry is love and acceptance. And I Mm -hmm. agree full-heartedly with him. That's the key is that if you show an interest in people with autism, they're going to be open up and they're going to be open to the faith and want to share their knowledge of faith also. Well, Ron, you mentioned something that I really wanted to come out in this podcast. I'm going to highlight it, and you may have to repeat a little bit. But it seems to me that the emphasis on autism is on what young children or young adults are doing wrong in their aberrant behavior in uh, autism. But what you've highlighted is that autistic young people have a special focus, a unique gift. And if the church could look for that gift, they might find themselves in a much better place. Yeah, and I think that um, focus on ability rather than disabilities. thing with autism that makes it very unique is there's huge mountaintops of gifts, but there's huge valleys of um, inability in certain areas. So you can have a guy who you can give him any date, even 30 years back, and they can tell you the exact day of the week it was, but that same person may not be able to tie their shoe. Or they may be able to do these great math equations that even expert professors in math wouldn't be able to figure out, but 
if you asked them to go in the store and buy a candy bar and make change, they wouldn't be able to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So you have these great abilities, but at the same time, disabilities. And the focus in on those areas where they're gifted and make them even stronger, and then they can learn how to compensate for the areas where their disability is. Right. Do you know when autism was first diagnosed about when we started to see it on the planet and we understood it? The thing is, autism has always been here, but we didn't really start to recognize it until 1940s, and there are a few. Kiner was one of the first. Leo Kiner was one of the first to recognize the, the diagnosis of autism in 1940s and enhanced Asperger's on the other side of the, in Europe also recognized it about the same time. Carner recognized it in Baltimore, U.S., and Hans Asperger was in Switzerland, and he also was in Germany during the whole um, Holocaust era. Mm-hmm. So it was about the 1940s when they started recognizing autism, and it, it was degree, there were different degrees of it. Sure. As you said, it's been with us forever. God made us yeah, the way we are for a reason. And we know, too, that... Um, Autism was, um, we know by reading people's autobiographies that autism has always been here. There's certain people we read about them, and we see um, that they line up with people who have autism. Mm-hmm. Like Thomas Aquinas, who um, the great theologian yes. with the five um, arguments of God, he wasn't able to speak until he was about age five, which would show he's probably on the autism spectrum. Sure. So here's a big question I think you can help a lot of people with. And I'm so grateful that you're on our show, and I, I really hope everyone would get a, an opportunity to pick up this book, A Parent's Guide to Autism. You don't have to be a parent, but we have to be willing to understand and try to help. Uh, as you said, there are many people with autism that we need to understand to be able to minister to them. But here's my question, Ron. What do you think we should do? How, how should we behave as leaders in the church or just as people, with neighbors, with people we meet in a grocery store when we recognize autism? What would be the response you would prefer to see? The response I'd re- prefer to see is that people would ask, how can I help you? And um, to not stare. The kids throwing things and out of control, not to just assume that the parents are bad parent, but maybe assume that the child has some sensory issues in the, mm-hmm. the, the store, um, the lighting in the store, the music in the store, the smells in the store are um, affecting the kids. So try to be helpful. Um, don't um, stare or gloat over people, but to help them out. So, okay, if we, if we see a meltdown occurring, are we better off to just walk away from the family or to go to the adult and ask if we could help? What's best? I think that it, it can vary. Some people may want you to ask, how can I help you? Or others may um, just would want to be left alone. So nice. I think it, it can vary. Um, it, I'd have to see the situation to be mm-hmm. able to determine if I'd ask them if they need help or not. Well, it's going to be different, like you said, in every situation. we just Pray for guidance from God to know how to deal yeah, with it. Yeah, you need the Holy Spirit's guidance to know for sure. That's right. So what do you recommend to, to folks that have read your book? What do you hope that they get from the book? And how, how have you made people better because of, the, of your writing of this 
misunderstood malady. I think I want people, when they read my book, to come away and feel hope. A lot of times they go to the doctors, they hear the teachers, and they, the teachers show them how far behind their child is. The doctors, a lot of times, will tell them the things that they're unable to do. And I want them to come away with hope and see that there's our many young adults who are severely autistic on the autism spectrum, and with love and care and therapy, they're now living more independent lives than they could have before. And I hope that people, when they read the book, will come away feeling that hope, feeling encouraged, and also learning more about autism and also having a heart more to help, if they don't have a kid with autism, a, a heart to help families in their church, in their community who do have kids with autism. That's and good. to have more compassion like Jesus and to see people in the eyes of Jesus and want to help them out. So do you feel like there's been growth in medicines, and do you, do you think that science can uh, help mediate this problem? I think that it's more therapy because autism doesn't have one cause, so there's not a pill that you can um, take to be cured of it. Mm -hmm. Autism is a different neurological way of processing information, which makes it not something that um, necessary um, medical treatment would handle, but more therapy. Um, most of all the, the, the ways of um, helping people with autism, it's all therapeutical, not medic, medication. They can use medicine to release anxiety. They can use medicine for um, things like that. But areas like um, communication, there's no medicine that can make you talk more. Mm -hmm. Or areas like a meltdown, there's no medicine you can take that's going to help you not have a meltdown. But there are therapies you can do and coping skills you can use that can help you refine those areas of autism and make them into beautiful gifts. Well, we're getting better, too, at the educational level in classrooms. I remember this young person that I was explaining to you as I watched her grow, how she was so misdiagnosed and so literally misunderstood, and they tried to medicate her, they put her on Ritalin, they did all these things to her, none of which were helping her. And a lot of times, too, with autism, um, psych meds, I work in the psych field, can actually make them worse because it's a neurological disability and it's not necessarily that they're delusional or psychotic. Mm -hmm. And the medicines are set up for people who are psychotic, not for people who process information differently, which autism is. It's not someone who's psychotic. It's someone who's processing information neurologically in a different way. Well, let me just say, Ron, that I know God knew what he was doing when he made you just like you are, and we love you. We appreciate your book. I'm just curious, what are you up to? Do you have an, another book in the works? Yeah, I'm working on my next book. I hope Charisma will pick it up. I should be finished writing it, hopefully in a year. It's called The Good Theologian, an autistic spiritual adventure of faith and hope. And it's a Christian devotional for families who have kids on the autism spectrum. It shares inspiring Stories of young adults who have been able to accomplish great things for God's kingdom who are on the autism spectrum. Also parents who have been able to, through the power of the Holy Spirit and God's guidance, have been able to have insight into raising their kids and, and wisdom and helping their kids with autism gain independence and also gain ability to have friends and be able to share the faith in God. Amen. That's such a good word. 
I want to direct everyone, all of our listeners, to hear more or to to learn more about Ron and his writing, to visit his website. It's spectruminclusion.com, inclusion, I-N-C-L-U-S-I-O-N, spectruminclusion.com. Uh, you can find out more about his books, keep up with what he's doing, his speaking engagements. He'll be speaking where, at Notre Dame this weekend, right? Yep, University of Notre Dame. I'm, I'm doing I'm one of the keynote speakers. I'm going to speak on my amazing journey with autism, and I'm doing a breakout session on autism, athletics, and activities. That's great. Play like a champion today, right? Yep, play like a champion today, yep. That's good. So, Ron, I, we just care so much about the work you're doing. I want to encourage you to keep writing, keep speaking. Uh, if you have an opportunity to hear Ron at one of his many tours that he does, I pray that you would get in front of him and, and listen to what he has to say. Ron, thank you very much for being on this podcast show. Oh, thanks so much for having me come. Again, the book is A Parent's Guide to Autism by Ron Sanderson. If you miss it, you're just going to miss it. And who knows who you're going to meet tomorrow and how you may be able to help them. So it's been a privilege to interview you, Ron. This is Steve Green on the Charisma Podcast Network. God bless you all. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.